Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicNPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest is K.R. Jones, who is author of the fiction novel The Ghosts of Guantanamo Bay. Today we will discuss her book. K.R. Jones was born and raised on Long Island, New York, and called Northport her home. Creative at an early age, she acted in plays, sang in musicals, and played the keyboard in an amateur rock band. She began her first novel when she was 14. Although she didn't get beyond nine chapters, the project became a turning point in her life, helping her realize her true passion was telling stories. Her years at Marymount College at Fordham University set the stage for the kinds of books she would later write. Her studies in political science and international relations included a year at Humboldt Universitat in East Berlin and the Universidad de Salamanca in Spain. Her adventures abroad made her long to bring what she learned and experienced to the pages of intriguing and suspenseful novels. She worked at the United Nations Social and Economic Council and was a researcher for a major lobbying firm in Washington, D.C., where she learned the ins and outs of the political world. Married to Marine Corps officer, she spent the next several years at various duty stations around the country before a final two-year tour of duty at the U.S. Naval Base in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. It was this tour which inspired her to write her first novel, The Ghosts of Guantanamo Bay. Today, she lives and writes in rural northern Virginia with her husband and two children. Kim, welcome. Thank you. What prompted you to write your first novel? This is a big step for an author. What well, as you wrote, uh, read in my biography, um, I wanted to write since I was 14, but you can't write a novel without some world experience, some perspective. And when I arrived in Guantanamo Bay, um, immediately just the landscape inspired me and the uh, old buildings that had been built in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s. It just stirred my imagination and it wanted me uh, to get to know the place better, to know the history. I just felt there was a novel there. And so I did start to study the history of uh, not only the base, but, uh, but Cuba, and uh, I started to pen the mystery part of the book. As I lived there and uh, became a part of the base, um, I learned that there was a dynamic with the people that lived there that would make for another type of book. So I just wove the two together to come up with The Ghosts of Guantanamo Bay. What was special about Guantanamo Bay? You had been to so many places in your travels and lived in so many places before getting there. What made Guantanamo Bay special? Well, for one, my grandfather used to tell stories of going to Cuba back in the day when Americans could travel, and he would uh, go uh, be in dance contests and eat in the restaurants and visit the casinos. And so I had learned of, of this, this fun place uh, at an early age. And then as I began to study politics and you learned that you, know, you couldn't go to Cuba, that, that it was hands-off and that the Cubans were our enemies, um, it was intriguing for me. And so to be able to go to a place where Americans are not supposed to be was fascinating. And then to um, study a place that most people don't learn about, don't know about, don't care to know about, 
they accept our American policy as face value without knowing the history or the political situation. Um, and I wanted the world to see this place, to get to visit it the way I did. And within the story, you describe Guantanamo Bay in your own way. It's, it's a fiction, but of course, you build on your personal experience, right? Yes. I, most people, Americans, will never, ever get to go to Guantanamo Bay. Um, Americans, in general, until we change the policy, can't even go to Cuba. And now there is a curiosity about it. Um, there is calls to uh, change our policy where Americans can visit Cuba freely. So I wanted to uh, bring the reader to the island to see it firsthand uh, so that when the story was over, you could say you touched, felt, tasted, experienced life in Guantanamo Bay, walk the beaches, go to the party, uh, see the, the wildlife, uh, know what it looked like to look across the bay at uh, the Cuban cities of Caimanara and Guantanamo City. Uh, that's what I wanted. I wanted to offer the reader an all-access pass to this very fascinating place that, again, most people will never get to visit. And all those things that we hear, all these infamous tales about the military base and all the challenges having to do with the prisoners, what can you tell us about that? Well, actually, we left just a few months before uh, 9-11 and, and all that took place. And uh, I'm familiar just by what the news talks about where the prison camps are. And uh, I did have some friends there, you know, when the prison camps were first built. Um, and for me, it's sad that when you turn on the news and you hear Guantanamo Bay, you think of it as a prison camp because that's not the way I see it. I see it as a very important part of American history. Um, most people don't even know why America's there, and that's, of course, we won it in the first land battle of the Spanish-American War. And, uh, and, and the times when Christopher Columbus first walked there, or how you know, pirates used it as a place to try to find fresh water or to put off their sick. There's just so much to this place. And, of course, um, the politics of during the Cuban Missile Crisis and and, and, and how that was an important part of our American um, political uh, structure, uh, military structure at that point. Uh, people don't see that. They don't see the iguanas or the cliffs or the beautiful blue waters or uh, to know the history or the Cuban people. They just see it as a detainment center. For, so for me, it's very sad, and I purposely omitted any uh, remarks about the prison camps because I didn't want this book to be political. I wanted it to be an adventure for readers, and I think I accomplished that. Is Guantanamo Bay U.S. territory or is it Cuban territory? Um, Guantanamo Bay, the, the actual land, is owned by Cuba. We lease it from the Cuban government. We signed a contract, President Roosevelt in 1903 uh, signed a contract that we could maintain a military base there as a coaling or refueling station for as long as we want. Cuba can never, ever kick us out unless both sides mutually agree. That's a big question because obviously we don't have a good relationship with Castro. Why would Castro ever allow us to have a base there? Well, it's not up to him. It is the contract that... 
uh, was signed, you know, many, many, many years before um, he came into power. So that's why we're there. But no, the land actually does belong to Cuba. And if we ever decide and do not have a military base there uh, as a refueling station, for one, um, we we surrender the base back to the Cubans. In terms of the actual living conditions and the people who are there, the people that you met and interacted with, would you say that that's U.S. territory or Cuban or somewhere in between? Well, uh, definitely um, the base is very Americanized. You have McDonald's, you have um, American-style homes. They tried to fashion them um, with some kind of Spanish architecture, but... Uh, you know, it is absolutely very Americanized. We there were Cuban uh, migrants. We would have um, we had a migrant camp there where Cubans who were trying to flee their homeland and um, get asylum on the base they would be housed, and it was a dormitory style facility. Um, I never visited there personally. Uh, my husband did. Um, many of my friends did. Obviously, it was a very close society with 500 military people living on a space where you couldn't go farther than seven miles in any direction. So, really, there were no secrets, or um, you pretty much knew uh, what was going on. Um, I was able to meet many of the Cuban people because um, if they were determined that, you know, obviously with good people come bad people. And there were people who tried to flee Cuba that were escaping the Cuban law, and those people were treated differently. But there were lovely Cuban people that were only trying to uh, seek freedom, and they were allowed to work on base and, and interact with the American population. And then they were just lovely people serving as waiters or maintenance people and uh, waitresses and uh, just lovely, lovely people. What was life like while you were there? I know you mentioned that you left before all of the 9-11 events started shaping the base. But when you were there, which is what the novel focuses on, what was life like? What was your daily routine? It was a little bit like the movie Groundhog Day with Bill Murray where Every day the sun was shining. Uh, every day everybody went the exact path to work. Everyone had their exact routine. Uh, there isn't a lot to do. Again, you can't go farther than seven miles in any direction, and you can't go faster than 25 miles an hour, so it, it could get very boring. So uh, you had a lot of parties, um, did a lot of diving. Uh, generally you'd wake up, and the, uh, the men would go to work, the women would... Uh, take care of the children. Some had jobs on base working for the military as secretaries or exchange workers, uh, you know, cashiers, that kind of thing. There wasn't a lot of career opportunities, as, as you might imagine. And other times, again, we'd go diving or um, crafts. It was uh, really um, a very simple life. It, what I loved about it is you, there was no keeping up with your next door neighbor. There weren't. There was no great furniture to buy. There were no beautiful cars to buy. No expensive clothes. You had one store for clothes, and you know there were a, a choice of five shirts. So you got away from the rat race, where it didn't matter what kind of furniture you had or how fashionable you were. Everyone wore flip flops and tank tops and jeans, and and you didn't have to worry about always having to impress your neighbor, which I I loved. Um, I loved just feeling, because the base was uh, small, 
and there were so few people there, you really could find nooks and crannies of the base where you felt like you were the only one on the island, and that was wonderful. It allowed you to really think, but in some ways you had too much time to think. A lot of people felt like they were a million miles from reality, and uh, you know, you did have a lot of the temptations that you would expect of living in a very close society without much interaction with, with uh, a lot of other people. Uh, so you had a little bit of a, of a moral dilemma that way. Um, you made friends uh, that were long-lasting friendships because, again, the, the friends you made there is what made the tour of duty. Uh, so you would have days where you absolutely hated it and wanted to get the next plane out. And there were days that you never, never wanted to leave because it was just so beautiful and so different. Um, and unless you've lived there, you will never understand uh, what it's like. But I've tried uh, in this book to really bring you there, to absorb you into the story, to make you feel like you've been there so that readers can uh, get a taste of that life. How long were you there, Kim? I was there two years. And you describe it as such a unique place. How is it different from other bases where you've been uh, around the world? Right. Well, for one, the size is so small and so concentrated. Uh, so you knew almost everybody. I'm, I'm on a military base. Um, there's not a lot of secrets usually because gossip moves very quickly. But on this base in particular, you really were living a fishbowl life. So that was different. Uh, the fact that the Navy and the Marine Corps when I got there, I believe there were actually more Marines on the naval base than Navy people. That's very different. You usually don't have that. Um, the interaction of the two services together um, was very different than you would have on other bases. Also, with the downsizing of the base, you had uh, enlisted people living in very close proximity to the officers, and so there were a lot of friendships that developed across ranks you usually don't have. You usually don't have sergeants hanging around with majors on the weekend. It's just not what happens. Usually on most naval bases, officers are very much separated from enlisted people just so everyone can relax on the weekend and you don't have to be calling people sir or ma'am and, and you kind of let your hair down. And here you didn't. You know, officers and enlisted were living in the same neighborhoods and in the same building. So um, you would see that the lines got a little fuzzy there. You also had, um, because there weren't a lot of friends to choose from, you'd have um, the wives becoming friends with a lot of the military enlisted people or vice versa, the enlisted wives becoming friends with the, the officers, and that usually doesn't happen. Um, the, your commanding officers you are a lot more familiar with than you ever would, and that that mixing is is usually you do not have that on a military base. That made it unique. And, of course, the fact that you're in this beautiful tropical paradise that has this, this uh, aura of mystery, of this mysteriousness of the Cold War, the last vestige of the Cold War, the Cuban Guard Towers across from the Marine Guard Towers, both of them armed. You know, you just felt like you were in this Cold War movie and you were playing your part. It was very interesting. Did any of those Cold War elements ever intrude into this idyllic life that you're describing? The only time you really sense that, see, when, when you first come to the island, you're scared of the Cubans because you've heard, oh, they're our enemy, and here we are as a Marines to protect the base from a Cuban invasion, and, and you actually come with this fear. And then as you live there, you realize that you just don't have that fear. And that fear turns to compassion for the Cuban people when you meet them. Um, but the only time you really got that sense was there was one beach called Kiri Beach. 
and uh, you have uh, all along the way you, you see the signs, you know, danger minefields and um, all this barbed wire, and then you see a big marine outpost, you know, their uh, guard tower, and right across the way was a Cuban guard tower, and they really did stand eyeball to eyeball, both of them armed, and the fence would this uh, the fence would actually cross the sand into the water. And it says, you know, do not go beyond this point. You're entering communist Cuban territory. And so here you were at the beach with your family, and you look back, and here are these two guard posts, the Marine and the Cuban, standing eyeball to eyeball where you're playing in the shadow of the guard tower. And that's the only time you really realize, you know, I'm we're here for a reason, and that's to protect the base from this Cuban invasion. And and uh, that is it's a very odd feeling, I, I can assure you. Were there any limitations or any restrictions when you announced that you wanted to publish a novel taking place or set no. in Guantanamo Bay? No. Um, I'm sure that um, when the when the uh, book hit the uh, hit the you know online and in the bookstores, uh, there was some interest from some government agencies, but. For one, my husband is no longer in the military, so I have no restrictions that way. And all the information I had, nothing was, you know, t I had no access to top secret material. There's nothing I really um, had to share. I mean, the, the Guantanamo's best kept secrets, for instance, that's one of the things I say that my book delivers, is the sense of this isolation of being on this remote island and you really do call the base its own island after a while you know you forget that you're attached to this larger body because Americans cannot ever leave the base you there's a, a fence all the way around the base and you can only leave on Tuesdays or Fridays when the plane comes if there's room so here you are locked on this island um, and so you do get this rock fever feeling um, but um, and, and I wanted to express how that isolation changes people and and, and that dynamic, what, how it adds to the personality of the island. So those are some of the things I give away. And some of the history, the things I found in the history files that I found to be very interesting that a lot of people, uh, it's not that you can't tell anybody, but they wouldn't be happier telling anybody about some of these things that have occurred, but they're very fascinating. And, again, you'd have to read the book, too, to understand what I'm talking about. But, uh, no, I was not told or instructed or contacted that my book is, uh, you know, contains anything that could be of some vital secret. Can you tell us, without revealing the secrets of the book too far, um, a little bit about the novel and the title? Sure. Um, I, the book opens up in 1958, just before Castro assumes power of the island nation, and three of Havana's largest casino owners decide that they are not going to give their money to Castro and that they are going to pool their resources to hide their money on the American base because they know Castro can't touch the base. And they assume Castro is only going to be in power a month or two. Of course, they were wrong. That sets up the mystery part of the book. It's not a whodunit, but more of an intellectual, uh, intelligent puzzle that kind of just sits in the back of your mind that you're trying to solve. Then I uh, move you ahead 40 years, and you arrive on the island with a Marine captain and his wife to experience life in Gitmo firsthand. You walk the beaches, you go to the parties, you get involved in the, middle, uh, in the military intrigue. All the while, that puzzle I set up in the beginning, the mystery part of the book, is playing in the back of your mind. Um, the Ghost of Guantanamo Bay, actually, as you read it, you, you have a notion of what you think the book's going to be about. 
as far as the title goes. You know, is it going to be a ghost story? Um, are there supernatural elements? There's a touch. Um, I let the reader, I, I trust the reader to make the right judgment on, on uh, certain characters and certain things that happen and, and how they want to interpret the title. But one of the things that uh, I include uh, as far as the title goes is, again, that uniqueness of the island of, of arriving in Guantanamo Bay, being one person and leaving a very different person but you're leaving a part of yourself behind, and that makes up for this unique character of the island that truly gives it its personality. Who's your target audience? Honestly, anybody who has a curiosity about Guantanamo Bay and anyone who really likes a fast-paced, uh, fascinating novel. Um, I wanted, I hope the, uh, the Latino population will read it because I want them to see that we as Americans arrived there fearing the Cubans, fearing these people we're supposed to guard the base against, but learned just living there and, and meeting them. And there were some people that had been there since just before Castro had taken over. We had given asylum right before Batista uh, stepped down and, and Castro took over. We had allowed some Cuban workers to stay on base, and these people have never never left the base all these years since 59 never left the base and you know in this little teeny area yet they were so thankful to be there and to be out of the clutches of castro and i i wanted to show the cuban people that there are americans that understand that everyone is not castro that there there is a beautiful people there that we americans need to embrace and get to know and uh, I'm hoping that Americans who read the book will then come to love and appreciate the Cuban people as much as we did. Um, it isn't a, a, a lesson in uh, Cuban history. Uh, there are a lot of historical elements. I went to great pains to make sure that the history was accurate. Again, as far as how we came to um, have Guantanamo Bay as a naval base and um, some of the politics that involved Cuba and America over the years, uh, how that affected the Americans living on base, especially during the Cuban Missile Crisis. But again, to to paint a picture of the Cuban people as uh, with with compassion and understanding. So far, how has the audience responded? What kinds of reactions have your readers shared with you? Um, it's funny. I do get the fan mail every week, and um, I get two different kinds. I get people who have been stationed in Guantanamo Bay over the years who say what a fantastic um, trip down memory lane for them. They feel like they were able to go back, if only for a little while, because it is such a fascinating place, and you do miss it. There's a hole in your life when you leave, and this book allows somebody who's lived there before to go back and relive it. Then I have gotten letters from people who had never been to Guantanamo Bay, who will never go to Guantanamo Bay, who say they feel like they've been there. Um, I hear a lot that people are reading it in a day or two that they can't put it down. I really tried to write a book that would move very quickly, that would give out as much information to keep it very interesting, um, keep the suspense up as you learn. I wanted a book that uh, would teach the history, as I said, and I have gotten a lot of comments that, People didn't realize how important Guantanamo Bay is in American history and military history, and uh, now they have that uh, that sense that 
understanding of why we have Guantanamo Bay. And, and people have come to share the same sentiment I have when they say, next time I see a, uh, the news and I see Guantanamo Bay on the news, I'm not going to think of it as a prison camp. I'm going to think of it the way you remember it. And, uh, of course, that's one of the things I wanted to accomplish. Kim, have you heard from Latino readers or even from non-Latino readers in relation to the Latino setting? What, in other words, are your impressions in relation to the novel regarding the, the Latino market? You know, I um, honestly have not had um, any Latino readers approach me or write me. Um, but what I have had are the people when I'm at a book signing, for instance, that come over and maybe they're, they're not even interested in, that, in a mystery and they walk by and they stop and say, why are we there? You know, what did the Cubans do to us again? Why do we hate them so much? Um, why can't we go there? And so I, I welcome that dialogue and I'm, I'm able to educate Americans on, you know, it's not the Cuban people we're enemies with, it's their, it's their government. And if we could, you know, get past that and, and see the people for the people and not for who their government is, I think we'll all be better off. And so I do welcome that dialogue. And that's really what I'm getting. So I think that I, I really do welcome um, the Latino population to read it, as I said. But if nothing else, if the Americans just have a better understanding, and perhaps after an American has read my book and meets a Cuban, and says, I understand what you went through. I understand why you came here, why you put your life on the line, your family life on the line to come here. I understand now. Uh, I will feel like I accomplished another one of my purposes. Have you, in marketing the book, in, of course, you mentioned in writing, but in, once the book was published, have you targeted Hispanic readers? Have you done interviews with other Hispanic-oriented media? Um, what efforts, if any, have you made to reach out to these groups? Um, I had a, a publicist for several months, and she really reached out to uh, the uh, Hispanic Latino uh, population. Um, the, she had told me there were many uh, magazines that were interested in getting copies of the book, uh, newspapers that wanted to review the book. Um, that was in the last, that was probably six weeks ago, and I know it takes a while to process. Books have to wait their turn to get reviewed and read and, and talked about. So um, I'm hoping that um, as these, uh, these magazines and newspapers get a chance to read the book, they will um, be calling for interviews or do articles on the book. But, yes, I have made uh, every effort to uh, bring this to um, that kind of audience. Is this sort of setting something that you want to pursue in your next project? Because I'm assuming now that you have the writing bug, you're going to write another novel. Is that right? Well, I have written. I have another novel coming out in September. It's a suspense slash historical fiction. I lived in East Berlin uh, right after the wall came down, and that's another group of people I came to embrace. Uh, when you hear of the Cold War, you think of the Soviets, you think of the Americans, and everybody knows about the Berlin Wall, but people don't really understand what those people went through living behind that wall, not being able to leave, not being able to have free thought. Um, and these are people prior to the end of World War II that did have that and could come and go and think and study, and all of a sudden that was taken away. They were Sovietized, and 
So I wrote a book. It's called The Face Behind the Wall. Again, it's coming out in uh, September. And um, that is a book where, of course, it's another page-turner, uh, very fast-moving, historically accurate, uh, where I'm trying to get the reader to realize that there's a whole other uh, area of the Cold War they did not know, did not understand, and perhaps can appreciate now. Is there anything else that the Hispanic market audience might be particularly interested in? Um, of course, I did study in Spain, and I fell in love with the Spanish people. And um, there are some elements of the, of the studying I had in there. Uh, would I love to set another book in Cuba? Uh, I would. I have got so much research to do. So I'm still just in the planning stages. Um, also, um, I am hosting an exchange student from Mexico this year. And it's such a wonderful experience because going to Mexico as a tourist is one thing, but you know, having one live with you, interact with your children, share their, their culture with you, um, it has given me ideas for, for future books. So, yes, it's always something that's in the back of my mind, uh, which, as you can imagine, my mind never stops. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, hopefully in the future we'll, uh, um, I will have a book that does uh, bring in some um, other elements or storylines or uh, characters that uh, would be interesting to the Latino community. Kim, is there anything else that you would care to share with our audience who know you by your author name, K.R. Jones? Um, I just hope that you will give me uh, a chance to show you that I really uh, can write a book that is not only interesting and fascinating, but that is filled with compassion, that tells a story that also has a message. I welcome people to visit my website at krjones.net to learn more about Ghosts of Guantanamo Bay and my experiences in any future books. And I welcome any uh, readers, um, that uh, any of your uh, readers, your listeners, who have read my book to please uh, e email me and let you know your thoughts on my book. I would appreciate hearing from you. Thank you, Kim, for joining us today from Virginia. I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. And to our audience, thank you for listening to K.R. Jones, author of the fiction novel The Ghosts of Guantanamo Bay, who discussed her first book, brought to you by Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicNPR.com, providing you essential information on America's largest minority. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicNPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at hispanicmpr.com. That's editor at hispanicmpr.com. For more information on how to reach Hispanics with marketing and public relations tools, visit our resources section at www.hispanicmpr.com. That's www.hispanicmpr.com.